0: and welcome to the Clever Pet Podcast with Melanie and Christine. Join us each week as we talk about practical dog training and problem solving to help you enjoy every minute you spend with your dog. We believe every human canine relationship deserves the most humane dog training methods based on the latest scientific research. No matter where you live, we are here to inspire you. So let's talk about dogs. Welcome to this week's episode of the Clever pup podcast. This one's going to be called Anatomy of a Training Session because Melanie and I both get a lot of questions from clients about um, how long should a training session be? Um, how often should I do it? Um, how do we increase the criteria? Like, how when is it done? When are we finished training? Stuff like that. So, um, so yeah. So, what, like, what would you say, Melanie, when, like, people ask, like, if a client was, like, how long should I make a training session? What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. That? So, like, um, the
0: brain is a muscle, right? So,
1: like, especially if they never done training with them, I like to keep them shorter. Yeah. So, if my dog trains with me, it's mostly 10 minutes. I keep mm-hmm. it with 10 minutes. Yeah. But, like, if any other dog, like, all of my clients, I basically say two minutes in the beginning and eight minutes sniffing afterwards. Yeah. That's like my main thing. So it's still 10 minutes. They're still doing 10 minutes with some. Yeah. But not like 10 minutes using their brain nonstop to figure out what do they want. I don't want to have that very short to keep the frustration extremely low, especially in the beginning. Not just the dog is learning the new behaviors, the clients as well. So they have to use the um, clicker. They might use a marker like, yep, or yes something short, um, but they still have to learn how to move, how to be in the session as well. So if it's two minutes, they can learn, the dog can learn. It's very short and, um, yeah, very low frustration. How long do yeah. you do yours
0: first? I, I feel like it really varies from dog to dog. But I remember, So Melanie and I both did the Karen Pryor Academy, and we both had the same sort of mentor for that program. And she was always talking about how, you know, make it shorter, make the session shorter. And she was even saying, like, it's there's so hard. Yeah. She
1: very short. And there's,
0: well, it is hard, but you can even do one rep. Like, when I think about, yes. like, if you take your dog to, like, a pet store, for instance, and maybe you only go to the pet store once a month or something, when you get in there, that dog once in a whole month gets one cookie from one stranger. That is very, very low rep. But a lot of people, when they bring their dogs, when we walk into the pet store, the dogs are like, oh, my God, it's happening. And dragging them. Yeah. So it makes... So very, very short sessions can still make a, a huge impression on a dog. So I don't have, like, a specific length that I tell people to do, but I do tell them to keep it short. I usually say try to keep it under three minutes. You don't have to do three minutes or less. You can do a couple, two or three training sessions. Um, but it really depends on the dog and it also depends on what we're training because there's things like if I'm asking someone to do a sniff walk with their dog they might be doing some or or other types of walking training they might be doing little um, pieces of that training plan all throughout the walk but it isn't necessarily you know that you're training the whole time and that you're timing what you're training if that makes sense so yeah, I think one thing that we have to explain. So you just said two to three sessions
1: Yeah. in a session. <laughs> so we kind of need to explain. Um, so basically you learn one behavior. So maybe you do um, five clicks for sit. And then you do like um, give them one, two cookies for free. And then you do five clicks for lying down. And those we call basically the first one is a rep, repetition. The second one is a repetition, but it's still both in the
0: same session, basically. Would you say it like that? Um, I guess I think of like I think of a session. That's funny. I think I used. You're right. I, I think I did make a mistake because I used the word for both things. So I will train. I do it all the time. it's yeah, like very
1: confusing. It is for. <laughs> confusing.
0: It's almost like we need a different word for it. But yeah. like when I train my dogs, I typically have do two or three sessions that are in that session that are about two or three minutes long and, and then sometimes I still think of that session because I'm having like these small training sessions within a larger session which is the whole training yeah so to make That's it more accessible cool. it be easier to have a different word for that yes yeah <laughs> um
1: so yeah so if you want to have it call it a data points you know mm-hmm. just make it easy to understand five clicks for sitting so you, you basically get the dog five clicks for sitting, five, let's just say, two treats for free.
0: They don't do anything, right? But you'd click and treat them for each time. For the five clicks, yeah. yeah. For the five times they are sitting. Each five click gets a treat. And then after that, you give them a couple of extra free treats.
1: And then you do a different behavior, do something else. And you could either do two or three different behaviors in one session. And to make it easier for this podcast episode, we might have to call the reps,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: repetitions.
0: Okay, let's say that And so, session
1: is like the whole
0: yes. thing. <laughs> Love it. Let's do that. So the reps will be the... Um, two parts. To, yeah, the small pieces, the two to three minute ones, and then the session will be the whole thing. So um, I might spend 10 or 15 minutes doing a whole session with my dog, but I give them little breaks in between. And I might even... And yours are click, clicker savvy dogs
1: i mean yeah. um when i work with especially so puppies have a very low span of actually working their brain they tend to walk off kind of fast if you don't if you overdo it with them so 10 to 15 minutes will be overdone with a puppy And um, with a dog who never had training before, it would be too much. I do 10 to 15 minutes as well because it's fun to get more out of one session since we already have the treats in our hands, we already have the clicker, we already have the attention, it's fun. But I feel like, especially for clients, I kind of try to keep it shorter so that they want to get going as well, right? Because they are like, ooh, let's do this. Let's train my dog, sit down, stay (laughs) in one session. But like the dog is... Yeah, they have to use their brain. Like they have to figure out, okay, what do they want me to do? And it's very burning. It's burning like extremely lots of energy. I always can hold on longer because they are yeah, they have five years of
0: experience using <laughs> their brain. But um, I think it, for me it kind of just depends on what I'm doing with the dog. Like if I have it I often will train the same behavior for the whole session. I give them a break and like, let's say Esri and I are working on pivot or something like that, where she puts her front paws on something and then moves her back paws, her back feet around it. Um, I might just do that, you know, a short session of that. And then I give her a break and then we do two more of those. And then uh, I attempt to increase the criteria little bit by making it a little bit harder like asking her for a couple reps so throughout the whole session I try to get a more advanced behavior towards the end of it so that's another way and I think it just depends on the dog like I've met puppies I we used to train a lot of puppies and I've met puppies that you know they would check out after two reps they were gone and I've met puppies who were really focused they lived for it and they were 100% in the whole time so it's very situational about the the personality of the dog or the puppy that you're working with and what they can do and also what you can do as a trainer because we can be very frustrating for the dog if we're not clear on, on what we're doing with them yeah
1: Yeah, like um how do you wanna uh, how would you explain to a
0: client what clear means um, being clear in a communication in a training session with your dog that's a good question I think essentially what I look for is that the dog is um, not, I'm not seeing frustration behaviors, which I would describe as whining, barking, um, throwing you a lot of behaviors. Once you start to train dogs and dogs get savvy that training sessions are fun, if they get confused about what you're working on with them. Um, they might start to offer a whole bunch of different stuff. They're like, what if I sit? What if I down? What if I spin mm-hmm. around? You know, and they're so that kind of stuff means that I'm not being clear because they're guessing they're like guessing <laughs> because I and it's because I didn't go maybe didn't go fast enough or because they're trying all the right behavior I that- said. Got to treat so, at some point. Yeah, so I'm looking for those indicators that my dog is understanding me and that they're participating in the training session in a way where they're, like, focused and engaged, but they're not getting frustrated or checking out. So that's what I... That's kind of how I gauge clear commu- communication. What about you? Like, how do you... Yeah, like, for me, it was
1: a big learning curve. Mm. So when I did my KPA, I already trained CAS for two and a half years or something so i already had all the experience i already trained clients but um, when i did the kpa my mentor she was like extremely particular about my movement right because i'm the trainer in the session so and even like the tiniest foot movement the tiniest head hand movement which like it just happens right it's not something that you do on purpose just just living in your own skin so you're kind of moving around and even like videos that i showed her I was like i'm definitely not moving i still got a feedback you're moving like your hand is still moving and i looked at it again and i was like oh it's seriously still moving how is this even possible <laughs> and it's it's ridiculous i mean um but i get it i mean Dogs
0: are so much focused on us. They're reading us. They're reading our body language. They're masters of reading body language. The fact that we want to have them on verbal cues, that's like trigonometry for them. Body language is like one plus one equals two. It's so easy. (laughs) And so they know, they probably, in fact, you can test it out with your dog. If you think your dog knows the word sit, I challenge you to um, turn the backs on them. Yeah, that turn, would be interesting. Yeah, or um, you know, uh, sit down on the floor and then ask them for a sit. Or yeah, um, or just change anything about what you normally do before, about your movement, about your movements before you say the word "sit" and see if they do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like one of the tests that we had to do was facing a wall mm-hmm. and then saying. The, um, the cue to the dog and seeing what they're doing so you had like a mirror in your hand to see in your bag and i know the face and expression from my dog so they're like if you stand in front of the wall there's like no way that they get in front of you right so they cannot get into training mode they cannot get this connection of eye contact and communicating with you so she was she felt like i wasn't communicating to her but she still felt i was talking to her <laughs> So and I remember when I said um, said her name Cassie sit, and she was, was like had her ears up. She was staring at my ass on her bed, <laughs> and like like Is she really talking to me. And I said it again, and then she you could see the like she was um her head was going a little bit like to the side, and the ears were like up, and then her ass went completely slow, like in like a slow motion, like extremely slow to the ground, and. I mean, I just ran around and was like, yay, woohoo, you did it! I <laughs> like a gigantic party with her, but she was so confused. Yeah. You could see how she was like, I think she's still talking. I think I know what she wants, but yeah. all of the other things
0: were just off, completely different. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of the things we understand about training sessions or that we come to understand about dogs, but I think there's a real misconception that when your dog learns to do something that you've kind of explained to them whether it's sit or their name or come or any of those things that it once they understand the word and they and you've seen them do it then they know what it means, and they're going to do it any any location, any scenario. And they might and, just sit for the cookie jar. Mm-hmm, so just in front of the cookie jar, the ears goes down. Yeah. But
1: in all other situations, they're like, Yeah, what do you want me to do?
0: Yeah. think <laughs> it's confusing for people when we set up training for dogs. When we set up training sessions, we start with the easiest possible version. Like when they're first learning it, we make it really really easy for them, and then we keep it easy. And then we slowly make it a little bit harder over time. Like, you know, can you do it when I don't have a cookie in my hand? Or can you do it when I'm standing a foot away from you? Or can you do it when we're outside instead of inside? You know, all of those things are a different learning context for the dog. And you have to practice them in those scenarios for dogs to really be able to do it. Yeah, one
1: um, silly test is moving everything, like arms hands like mm-hmm. almost like dancing in front of the dog and saying the cue to them yeah. like being completely ridiculous and saying down and seeing what they are doing <laughs> how they react to it <laughs> i did the same thing with sit and had the same reaction from her like <laughs> what do you want me to do <laughs> my person is really weird right now <laughs> Yeah, the other one would be, um, how often do we talk to a client, how much they should train yeah.
0: on a day, in a daily basis? I don't And then maybe in a weekly basis. Yeah, I personally don't think it has to be that often. Um, like I said in the early earlier example, when I was like the dog who goes to the pet store and the pet store employee gives them a cookie... That happens maybe in a month or a couple months. Well, depending on where you live. Some people go there a lot. But, you know, if, if it happened infrequently, but the dog thought it was wonderful. Um, so I think that's the... You can get a lot Almost of... Almost like a jackpot. Yeah. Basically. You can get a lot of mileage out of, you know, a few short training sessions. The biggest thing is that it has to be clear and consistent. So if whatever it is that you can commit to, if you can do a couple, t- two or three training sessions a week... And they last for ten minutes. That's not a huge time commitment, but it is a commitment to do it over a period of time. So I think that's the thing that people struggle with as humans. We're goal oriented, and we want dogs to understand things the same way we do. We're like, you know, we someone explained it to us, we learned it, done and dusted. We got it, you know. And and that's it doesn't function quite the same way with dogs. I think. I mean, is that what do you think about that?
1: I mean, I most often tell them to implement one to two sessions a day, mm-hmm. so either two minutes, five minutes, or ten minutes, depending on uh, age, how savvy they are for training. Um, I try to. I don't know. I've I've tried to get them into like a routine with training for my clients, just so that they actually training their dog more often. <laughs> I feel like um. Like, if it, as soon as I give them... So basically, I, I try to give them the um, thing right after the morning walk and right after the evening walk. So I basically tell them to, take the, to have the same period of time for their dog. Most of the times they are very busy, right? So if they take their dog outside for 30 minutes and then they leave the house for the office, so I would tell them instead of doing 30-minute walk, do a 20-minute walk, come home, do a two-minute session do eight-minute nose work, and then leave the house. You know, just mix it up, basically, and do the same routine at night. Most of the people have a routine with their dog. I just try to get them less. They don't have to have more time on the day with their dog, necessarily. It would be nice if they would do that. (laughs) But I know that most of my clients just don't have the time, even if they wanted, wanted to. So this gives them the freedom of, getting the training, getting the enrichment of training and the nose work right after. So the dog gets calmer by accident, (laughs) you know, and right before they leave they get a calmer. And just most of the time they actually stick with it. I have a few clients that just do the nose work because they're just amazed by how less they have to do with the dog. It's amazing. (laughs) Nose work is amazing. (laughs) And just gives the training a little something with that. But um, it just gives them a a
0: structure, basically. I do something really similar, like to help people fit it into their schedule. I'm like, a lot of training that I teach people can be done on a walk. So there's a lot of things you can train. I'm like, well, if you're already going to walk your dog... And you only need, you know, less than 10 minutes, 5 or 10 minutes to to do some training. Just do it while you're walking and when you're multitasking. And another way that I present it is it's fun. Like, training sounds like a chore, I think, for some people. So I restructure some of the training sessions so that they're something that's really... Can be all games. Yeah, it's, like, very joyful and, like, fun for the dog and hopefully fun for the human. I mean... I'm a crazy dog trainer, so I love to train my dogs. Like, for me, it is so fun. And I've been, like, constantly trying to think about, like, how can I restructure it so that it's not um, it's not a chore, but, like, a, something that's more like a game or, like, play or, like, you know, building a, a fun behavior because... It's something that you both enjoy doing, and that makes it easier. I think.
1: Yeah, and then they see, in a fun
0: way, the changes in yeah. their dog. And most of the time, then they get the
1: motivation to have more of that. Even, like, games, like, um, clicking them for everything that you like on a walk. Yeah. Basically, when you're outside, just, like, especially in the beginning, when you start clicking, just, like, everything. Like, every time they don't pull, every time they don't just look at the dog and don't pull you there, all those kinds of things, you can just click. And if um, they get a treat for it, they just you get more and more attention. They walk closer and closer to you, and this already fascinating so, so much that people just tend to do more and more of it,
0: totally. which is very
1: beneficial for the relationship and the behaviors that come out of it.
0: This is an amazing training strategy that Melanie's talking about. It was, I think, both of us kind of stumbled upon it. I mean, it's a type of training that we would do anyway, but it really got packaged by Kathy Sadeo in her book, um, uh, Plenty of Life is Free, and she called it, I think it's smart times 50, is that mm-hmm. what she called yeah. yeah. Basically, you would count out 50 treats, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. You can use part you of... Can, they can yeah. cut down their yeah. diet if they're they worried about And you can wheat. use food. <laughs> I mean, that's something that I want to talk about at some point, too, but you can choose a, a type of food that you use for your treats just find a high value food that's you know tiny treats for your dog and then you have um you have 50 of them in your little pouch and every single time your dog does something that you like like they're walking next to you or they check in with you or they um they lie down and calm down anything it's like absolutely anything that you can of. You can looking
1: it, outside without barking, yeah. looking at a dog without barking, or going there, you know, yeah. like pulling you there.
0: And you can make a little list of the things that you want to see your dog, notice your dog doing. But it's more about like noticing when your dog is doing the things that you like, so that you're increasing the frequency of those behaviors. And so when it's happening, you just say yes, or yep, or click, and then you give your dog one of those 50 treats, and you just aim to be, uh, have an empty tree pouch by the end of the session, yeah. Yeah, it's very accessible, I think.
1: Totally, yeah.
0: And it's a life-changer
1: for most dogs. They're like, whoa, i got a treat for that one. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that much. <laughs> but it's still a nice behavior. If you if your dog is in front of you and not pulling, and you have like a kind of like a you in your leash. That's a nice behavior. That's loose leash walking,
0: right? They don't have to be in healing to be loose leash. At all. Not at all. And I think it's just a it's a thought like a pattern shift in the way that we think about training because a lot of I think in the past we would think we're we're gonna wait till our dog does something that we don't like and then we're gonna ask them to do something different and then reinforce that thing. But what if we just skipped that whole part and just increase the frequency of the thing that we did like so that we got more and more and more of that instead it's going to displace those other things that We were waiting to to tell them not to do. Yeah, and all behavior, behavior that they do naturally and get
1: reinforced for, they're much stronger than if we asked Mm -hmm. for certain things. 100%. And then
0: reinforce it. Absolutely. It sticks in their brains because they decided to do that thing. Yeah. Yeah. They they did something and then they got a treat for it and they're like,
1: whoa, really? (laughs) 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 And then you get more and more of those behaviors. It's like, Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why I fall in love with the training methods. Just the way how they look at me in training. Like all of the dogs that I work with, in the beginning, they are, I go in a training room with them. I do lots of, um. I did a lot of board and stay, board and train. So they, I had them in the facility. I could take them outside of the daycare, train them. So I had the direct training sessions with dogs. And most of the, so the first thing that they do is, Going around, right? So they're going into a different room, so they're sniffing everything. Yeah. Sniffing and peeing, if you're lucky. So, and you don't have any check in, you don't have any intention, nothing. So, there's no communication with the person in the room. Everything else is much more interesting. But as soon as you get into to the training mode, the communication changes. So, as soon as I take them out now for the daycare and they go into the training, I have that attention right away. I go into the room and they're like, What are you doing? What do you want me to do? <laughs> so and that's it's absolutely fascinating it's a it's lot of fun for both for us and for the learner so um yeah the other thing people ask us a lot how long do we have to train which is like very funny if you think about it it's like almost like going out of school and never learn anything new which is not possible <laughs> <laughs> what you were saying about that like how long do you have to train sit how long do
0: you have to train lie down how
1: long do you have to train recall
0: yeah that was actually that was actually what made me think of making this um whole uh, session because <laughs> yeah so it was like we were talking about training a recall and they were like so when do we know that we're done how do we know that we've got the recall and it's done and i i was just thinking well um You may not ever have it in every context because, you know, if you've got a skittish dog and they're off leash and thunder strikes, you know, and you've only had the dog for a month, are they going to run to you or are they going to run away? You know, you don't know. And so you have to be careful and think about that. We make built behaviors. So we start when it's really, really easy. And then over time, we build, uh, we do these little training sessions over a long period of time. It's kind of the difference between, like, a crash diet or, like, a, or change, lifestyle, change. a lifestyle change. Exactly. Yeah. So I tried to encourage people to implement them over a long period of time, six months or a year, and just do it a little bit all the time until it's a very highly reinforced behavior in a lot of different contexts. And so the stronger, the more you continue to do it over time the stronger the behavior comes, and and, and eventually, with a recall, when they've come in all these different places, and all these different ways, and you have multiple cues for it, and they have a a long, long history of a high reinforcement for doing that behavior, it just gets strong. It's like a muscle. It's like you're building a strong muscle over time, and you should never probably totally give up on it, but, um, you know, just stop completely, but... Some behaviors are pretty strong. My dogs actually have some behaviors that I haven't reinforced for a long time. But because they had that long history uh, of it, they um they continue to do them. So Yeah, I think recall is hard. Um things sit stay
1: it's probably like I don't know, maybe a week of training and then you're just maintaining mm-hmm. yeah. the behaviors. Um is a stay depends also on the duration. So a stay at home will probably only take a week. A stay in a park it's a different story. Yeah. So um yeah and it like I definitely I definitely wanna do a podcast about depends. Because every time we have this questions I have this in my mind. And I know everybody that I talk to and I ask the question about a specific client that I wanna Ask them about like this p- problem that I have. I get depends, yeah. <laughs> and then I get all the answers. So we definitely have to do a depends. But like especially this one, it strongly depends on the learner, you know, on the situations that they are in. The dog, if he has a hunting instinct, how interesting is the environment? How interesting are you? There are breeds like German Shepherds They tend to be very focused on us. You know, Australian Shepherds they love to work with us. My dog is very independent, so if I put her off leash, she really likes to explore. She doesn't have a hunting breed, but she's also like a little point on the on the far end of the trail, you know. And she goes around the corner, and then I see her looking like, "Where are you coming? Like, why well, does it take you to so long? <laughs> you know. But I think um, with this, it's just yeah, there's no really a number to it. But I feel like training has to be seen like a like a long time learning process you know we train it once but then we're maintaining it a life
0: lifetime yeah i mean i do with my dogs and i i feel like it doesn't seem totally unreasonable some dogs are reinforced by other things besides food too so you can also transfer it over a lot of dogs are very social i can get very i taught one of the recalls that i do with my dog just means come in my direction And they never actually... It goes this way. Yeah, they and that's what it's called. I just say, you know, girls, this way. And to them, it just means I'm heading off in a different direction. So come, (laughs) so stop going that way and come my way. And they are very reinforced by the fact that, you know, and then they run towards me. Big, open faces, so excited. Mm-hmm. They don't come up to me for treats because they know this way just meant we changed direction. It's like a game. It's yeah. We're now and they don't want us in the right. front. Right. So, like, <laughs> so, and that's just one. I teach different types of recall, but that's one type. But that one doesn't have a treat involved. Like, it's that's just a social experience for them that's reinforcing it. And sometimes people can use toys um, when I was working on greetings, which we're going to talk about <laughs> soon. Um, Will be the with, next one. Yeah. <laughs> with my dog, um, I ended up using uh, a ball to, when we were working on off-leash greetings in the dog park, and she would run up and start to get excited about somebody. When she would run, um, I would ask her to disengage and run back to me, and then I would start throwing the ball because it did a couple things that helped her Move away from people that she was thinking about, maybe jumping on. But that's another type of reinforcer. So I think one thing that I think people kind of balk at the idea: Oh, do I have to carry food around for my dog all the time? For th-? Not necessarily. Like a lot of these behaviors become very strong without food involved. Yeah, yeah. You could even do hunting with yeah. them. So if you yeah. have them on the trail off leash in the recall,
1: you could just act like, you know, like he, she might be two hundred feet away from you. And you like call her name and point to something and then they will just come and check it out. You know, and then you do like a little fun game with them, do like maybe play with a steak or something and then you send them off again. Yeah. I mean, for, some, for my dog I prefer food, but I know many clients don't want to give them food all the time. There are also breeds that tend to have overweight issues kind of easily. So for those, it might be better was attention, if that is reinforcing for the dog, um, eye contact, any kind of um, motions from us can be very reinforcing. If we do like a high pitch, like kind of thing, um, plays, you know, any kind of play. Yeah. Dummy work is very, so dummy work is very nice for my dog as the food. <laughs> but it can be a little bit healthier than the options for What's, the treats. What is dummy work? Um, do you know dummies for hunting?s Oh, uh-huh. you know, I like so. a like a retriever dummy. Like it looks kind of like a boat fender, a little bit. Like yes. A, yeah. So you have the water versions and the field versions, mm-hmm. and you can fill food in there. Oh. So then you can ha- play hiding games with them. You can have, um, for example, if you're on the trail, which I did with my dog, I just let it fall on the trail when she was far away from me, and then as I just said when she was two hundred feet away, Cassie where is it and then she was like whoa she lost my dummy and then she's looking (laughs) all over the place for the dummy and bringing it to me and getting the treats i mean it's the food but you could put um chicken soup in there there are like dummies for wet food options like getting a little bit on the healthier side which is harder for treats most dogs don't really work for carrots That much, (laughs) Uh, yeah, very rarely it happens, but it's rare. It happens (laughs) every now
0: and then. You get a rabbit and a dog. (laughs) I think you just have to assess the situation. If you're, if you're, we do long-term off-leash recall work with our dogs because we want that behavior to be really, really, really really strong. So we continue to reinforce it with high-value food because if I have my dogs off-leash in a really exciting area or a new area when I blow the whistle or I call their name or I say it this way or uh, not this way because that one doesn't have food, but you know, all the ones that are food reinforced, um, they, I want them to just like drop whatever they're doing and sprint to me because we're off leash and I, it just makes me feel like they're safer. It's a safety thing for me. Whereas like, I have not given my dog a treat for sit Maybe ever, I don't know. But they all but they both said if I ask them to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the same thing was the questions. Um, when are we done? I mean, it kind of goes into the same direction of mm-hmm. how long we have to train it. Yeah. I don't think that we ever have done training. We might be done with certain behaviors, and we just maintaining
0: yeah. them. But I don't think we ever have done was training. It depends on you and your dog. I mean, a lot of people, we train our dogs because we enjoy training our dogs. Um, But I think a lot of people that we work with, they get to a point with their dog where they're very happy with how things are, and it's all very functional. And, you know, if they have like a really crazy, hunty dog outside, they might need to continue to reinforce that off-leash recall um, for a long time, but it doesn't necessarily mean... That um, that they're training lots of new behaviors for their dog. Um. All right, so
1: the last thing we want to talk about are the starting and ending. I think that's the thing that people also asked us a lot about. So, um, how would you start a session?
0: Um, I usually use some of the stuff, like we have a training area that we use, so a lot of times. Yeah. (laughs) For my dogs, a lot of times when we go to a particular location or I pull out particular props, you know, because we do canine parkour and fitness stuff a lot with them. They're like, oh, my God, it's happening, you know, (laughs) so they know. But you can also say, um, we'll just say something like, are you ready? Ready? I usually do that before I start doing anything. I ask them. And they usually let you know by, you know, looking at you, attention, you know, ready for the session, but they know it's about to happen. So that's kind of, that's kind of how we get, what about you? Do you have a ritual for starting? So, yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, when we lived in apartments and I didn't, like right now I have the luxury of a training room as you have,
0: but before
1: I didn't. So like the living room, the dining room, sometimes the bedroom had to be the training room. So wherever she was at that moment, we would train there. So her main cue was getting the treat pouch. So that getting the treat pouch either means we're going outside or we're going to train. She had a hard time dealing with me, having it on me, when I wanted to um, teach her calmer behaviours when she hears something, you know, something unexpected. So the unexpected thing has to be in a ball, because she wasn't cueing mm-hmm. the yeah. treat pouch for training or going outside to uh, the ball. So the ball wasn't a cue for that. So I could have a ball from treats in my living room for unexpected situations but as soon as I put the treat pouch on she's like okay what is it going we out or is it the training so that would be a thing as a start of the session yeah. for clients that I work with I think it's I mean it's mainly me, me, me basically I think I'm the biggest cue on the whole thing because I'm coming in and they know I'm like oh you know the trainer is here <laughs> so that's the biggest cue for them because I don't Most of the time, I don't communicate with them before I actually start the training. And the daycare was actually so cute. Like all my training clients, they were able to see us walking by the area where they are um, in their off leash area. And some of the training clients, if they knew they had training on that day, they would just sit on the equipment and scan and wait so I was the cue they saw my face they saw the leash on my head and I was looking in the area that I wanted to have a dog and that was their cue of like it's happening I'm up for training (laughs) and then that dog in that area all of the other dogs were completely calm because they are used to me walking up and down but that particular dog who saw my eye contact and was looking at me was like oh my god it's happening and then I was zooming spinning in the area until I got him out (laughs) So, um, and then bouncing me to the training room.
0: Oh my gosh, it's amazing how much they love it. My dogs, like, their their pupils dilate and their ears go up and their tails, they're like, oh my God, we're going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I feel like, so, yeah, I guess the main thing I do is I'm like, uh, I'm like, ready? That's usually what I say. I make eye contact and I just say the word ready. But I often don't necessarily instruct people to do that with their dogs. I think mainly because... A lot of times, like, all the things you were saying when they put the treat pouch on and go to a certain location, like, the starting point is often really obvious to the dog anyway. And it's almost more like ending a session is much more important to do it for a lot of dogs in a yes. way that's not upsetting because training is so much fun the way that we do it. When we end it, some dogs are like... Very, they can get kind of frustrated or upset by the fact. Yeah, like
1: with with the starting, it just depends on how big your living area is, right? So if you have like a gigantic house with 1,000 square feet, like, I'm not even sure if it's gigantic. (laughs) (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I'm, I'm I'm still used to the European metrics. <laughs> anyway, so if it's a big gigantic house. your dog might not be near you, and you have all the cues on you. You wanna be ready, but the dog hasn't waking up or hasn't been coming out of the garden, inside anything like that. So your cue might be better for that, for this position, just to communicate. with I'm saying the name and like showing your equipment. Like we're gonna do this. You're gonna have a little bit exciting. And then the dog will be into the game. And sometimes, especially in the beginning, where they don't know what you're up to, and they don't know that the treats are there, or they don't know, I mean, mostly know that the treats are there, or they don't know if they get treats, you know, if it's there for them, that um, you need a smaller room, and just, like, treat them for, like, almost nothing, mm-hmm. just to get them going, basically. And then you can take them away and see what they, what you see in front of you. I would say that um, for big houses, yours is probably more the starting point. But I think for apartments, mine is probably because they are looking at me all the time. You know, like yours are, might be in the garden and you are inside, so your cues might not get picked up because your dogs are not with you. <laughs> but with me, she's always with me. with an apartment. So um, I think for city dogs, for most of them, they're actually having the tree pouches a cue for them. Yeah, probably. But like you said, ending... Um, That's much more important. I had that a few times when I had her, um, when I started with Casper's training. She just continued offering Mm, behaviors. Yeah. You know, I put the clicker away, I put the treats away, I was sitting on my couch and I have this adorable six month old puppy in front of me and just pawing me putting her head on my leg and just (laughs) like extremely cute and flirty like what do you want me to do like (laughs) what is pushing the button to give me more treats Mm -hmm. so um i think ending is important i know that not all of the trainers do it but i tell that to all of the clients and i like to do um a jackpot yeah
0: on the end yeah i do the same thing. Each session, like what we're talking about, what did we decide to call our bigger piece? The um... reps. Reps. Okay. Session so, is what we saying. Right, right. A rep is... So the reps, each rep during the session, I would um, end it with either a treat scatter or you could scatter into a snuffle mat, if you know what that is, so that they can use their nose a little bit. We always end it with like a little bit of a jackpot or a treat scatter so that they can sniff around and then we'll give them a nose break. And then we can start, and then when they seem ready, or when you're ready, you start the next session, and then you maybe do, like, three of those, or less or more, depending on your dog.
1: Yeah. So, like, between reps, she mostly gets um two to five treats for, like, nothing. <laughs> Just sniffing, relaxing, thinking about something else, um, like a reset, you know, like, getting stuck that behavior that we trained before and now we're gonna do something else we might do the same behavior but it's like a reset you know the dog is just like okay like almost like taking a deep breath in yoga you know like calm their nerves get the stress level down and then we can continue and with the ending she mostly gets 20 to 25 you know so it's like a bigger thing
0: you can also do relaxation between them that's definitely Possible. Yeah, like I mean, it. yeah, like you have,
1: could have small petting
0: uh-huh. in between yeah. reps. Yeah, if the dog
1: is not completely nuts about treats. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, you could do petting. You could you could teach them. You could actually give them treats for relaxing on uh, something comfortable too. Like I teach my dogs to relax in particular locations so that they can go be there when I need them to. Which, just by the way, if you you heard, <laughs> heard Huffy stompy noises all through the episode bumping into the desk yeah but twice. my dogs are in here because we're trying it at my house this time so we'll see <laughs> one, <laughs> one of our bigger
1: dogs is a little bit clumsy yeah. today yeah, she is <laughs>
0: and seemingly
1: warm yeah <laughs> well she wanted to be on the episode well, she did. Her. <laughs> she did well I think that's it for today yeah yeah I mean there's a lot more to talk about, oh, okay. but um, I think we will wrap it up here. All right. Thank you for listening. Please share and comment all of the good stuff. See you next week. Bye.